Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from 10, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty Nakian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Danny Shade. I'm the music composer guy for this audiobook you're listening to, as well as Dan's other book, Predestination. You can find my work and contact me at www.dannyshade.com. You're listening to Episode 9 of Down From 10, and this is the story so far. You've heard it said that intelligent people live closer to the edge of insanity. In this case, it looks like it takes an avalanche to push Amos Maple over the edge. No sooner had the supplies been seen to than Amos broke into show tunes, sweeping the entire household up with him in a spontaneous bout of insanity. Fortunately, at the crescendo of the song, all of the lights went out. Chapter 9 E-8 Evening In the darkness, something rustled. Something that sounded like cardboard. It squeaked a little bit, just loudly enough to drown out the quiet sounds of eight bodies breathing in too small a space. The sound of a latch catching and wood nestling happily against its frame heralded the closing of a cupboard. A little more fumbling indicated a pair of hands feeling around the counter tentatively, perhaps out of fear of finding a knife that had been carelessly left loose. Through the blackness, a soft, whispering woman's voice began to recite. And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Slowly, deliberately, and without encountering other misadventures, the fingers found their goal. A knob turned, and the soft whistle of gas through a valve filled the room. After another couple of seconds, and a little more rustling with the rattling cupboard, Adele's voice continued. And the Lord said, Let there be light. The quick flick of a match striking against a box, and the flare of a small phosphorus explosion brought light to the room. The match moved low to the burner, and the fire caught. And there was light. The glow of dozens of small, wavering fingers of blue painted Adele's face like moonlight. Without withdrawing from her place next to the burner, she worked her hands around something that the others couldn't see. The sound of crumpling paper was answered when she lifted a long, makeshift paper torch to the flame. The paper lifted the flame from the burner and to a candle by the side of the stove. And there was evening and morning the first day. Gerd nodded as he received the candle, but couldn't help pointing out, This is the third day. He moved aside, carrying his candle to the living room door, and Carol succeeded him in line. She held her candle up to Adele's makeshift firelighter. As the flame touched the wick, Carol continued the story. 
On the second day, Horus, the great elder, was born. His left eye was the sun, and his right eye the moon. Like a liturgical reading, Adele answered, And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters. And he called that expanse sky. The fire passed back the line from Carol to Amos and through the rest of the group. Even Jeremiah accepted a light. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Once everyone had lit a candle, Gerd stepped through the portal, leading the procession into the conversation pit, each of them lighting candles along the way until the room was filled with the small lights. Carol stopped to light the small collection of Hindu art near the stairs. As she did, she recited from memory, And the second age of the Mahayuga is Treta Yuga, the Silver Age, where the air was filled with three-quarters virtue and one-quarter sin and each man endured for 10,000 years in his breath before the wheel turned. Kevin moved to the fireplace and quickly set his light to the tinder and kindling within. As the flames licked up around the larger logs, the entire group gathered around on floor pillows as if by unspoken agreement. Amos and Katie moved the coffee table back against the couches to make more room. None of them sat on the raised hearth, each one preferring a view of the fire. After a few moments, Amos ventured to break the silence. So here we are. Gerd nodded. As humans have been since before we first learned to talk. Adele's smile seemed brighter in the firelight than it did in the full light. Perhaps it was her natural habitat, sitting by the lone light in the darkness. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? Fire. Poetry, glass, silicon, steel. Kevin looked over the assembly and suddenly stood. All of civilization is dirt and fire. He stepped outside the circle and headed for his easel. And who has it? And who needs it? Adele's voice seemed far off. Her eyes misted over. Who's making too much of it? Who can't get enough? And who can ride it into the stars? Amos leaned his back against the front of the couch, connecting himself with the memory of being strapped down to all that thrust. When he opened his eyes again, he saw Adele looking at him with an air of motherly indulgence. You really think that's important? Amos leaned his head back to see if Kevin was going to jump in, but the physicist was firmly in artist mode now, setting up his kit where he'd have a great angle on the crowd and the fire. Before he could answer, Carol stepped in. You're dangerously close to heresy there, dear. Sitting here with two science fiction writers and an astrophysicist. You put seven people in a pressurized school bus and spend millions of dollars shooting them into orbit to joyride for a few days. Big deal. NASA got $17 billion last year to keep the geek set happy. Meantime, we've got people in Bangladesh who can't get clean water. Yeah, and $17 billion would let us provide clean water for most people on the planet. It wasn't a question. Amos knew the numbers well enough. Yes. And since that's the case, what real value are the stars? He settled in comfortably to one of his favorite arguments. Oh, we get great things from it, sure. Microwave ovens, tang. Oh, Adele, you think you're being generous. 
I'm old enough to remember all the happy, shiny speeches in science class. But we'd have gotten that stuff anyway without pouring all that money into a giant prick-waving contest with Russia over who could get to the moon first. Amos stifled a chuckle and inclined his head towards the hostess. <laughs> Carol, she's your friend. She winked at him. <laughs> That's why you're having this argument, not me. I want her to talk to me in the morning. Oh, pooh. Adele dismissed their conspiratorial whispers with a wave of her hand and looked straight at Amos. <laughs> I've known you for years. And you put up with me because I keep my mouth shut. Why change a relationship when it's working so well? I hate to interrupt, but I want to call in my modeling marker now. The light's perfect. Adele, Carol, Jeremiah, Sarah, could you four strip off and gather around the fire there? Jeremiah, Sarah, and Carol all exchanged looks, shrugged, and stood to comply. Adele held back, as if debating with herself what to do. Katie noticed her hesitation and leaned up next to her. Amos folded his hands behind his head and reclined a bit, keeping his eyes trained on Katie and Adele, watching their lips. You okay? Fine. But won't be able to keep up my end of the argument lying naked there in front of everyone. Why don't you model for the body casting later on, and I'll take your place for now. Amos couldn't help but smile. Katie, always quick with a fix. Adele nodded gratefully. Thanks. Katie patted Adele on the shoulder. She stood and stripped in nothing flat, then joined the other models on the hearth. When she planted her ass on the brick, Jeremiah bristled next to her, then relaxed again. Come to think of it, Amos mused, this was the most relaxed he'd seen Jeremiah since he arrived. Perhaps being on display felt natural to him. It was a performer, after all. Okay, yeah, sit there. No, facing out a bit. Actually, Katie, could you lay across Jeremiah's? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Kevin gesticulated obscurely, as if he were trying to pose his subjects by remote control. Carol, cradle his head between... Yes, perfect. And now, Sarah, you sit down in front looking over at them. Now extend your hand. Yes, that's perfect. Kevin stepped behind his easel with a charcoal stick and started sketching furiously. Between strokes of his hand, he spoke in oratory, as if he were now unsure of where his conversation partner was located. I'm sorry, Amos. Please carry on. Amos turned his attention back to Adele, but it took him a moment to choose his words. He didn't want to jump up and down on her toes. Adele, on the other hand, wasn't inclined to let him be judicious. Come on, Amos. Don't chicken out now. She folded her arms and reclined against the coffee table, mocking his posture and adding a touch of disapproving dare on top of it. Amos shrugged and leaned into the conversation. She asked for it. Okay, if we spent all that money we spend on the space program bringing water to Bangladesh, how long do you think they'd keep it? Do you really think the problem would be solved? Every time the West gives foreign aid, it does damage. We build roads, and some clever dick uses them to move armies. We send food, and the dictators keep it for themselves and sell it on the world market to get rich. And that drives down the price so that the poor farmers that they govern go bankrupt. And the dictators seize more land. What do you think would happen if the West came in like a shiny knight and put in a pristine water system and left again? That's no excuse not to help. On the hearth, Sarah shifted. Amos's eyes keyed to the motion enough that he caught Sarah whispering to Carol. Fireside politics are so sexy. Carol eyeballed Sarah without moving her head. Hush, girl. Listen to the humanitarian and the humanist who battle for the ethics prize. 
You might learn something. You're a meanie. Sarah started to pout, but when she looked back up at Kevin, she quickly corrected her expression to the placid detachment of a model. And you're a delectable brat. Now hush. Amos found himself chuckling as he answered Adele. No, it's not an excuse for avoiding helping. But what kind of help? Just dumping money into a place usually makes it worse. But we can go to the moon. We can go to Mars. Humans need something to dream about. Someday we'll be able to go to other stars. And <laughs> when that happens, we'll have done our job as children of Earth. We'll have grown up and left home. We'll live beyond the death of the sun. And whoever starves and dies along the way, that's all right, eh? Adele raised an eyebrow at him. She thought she had him cornered. But before he could say anything, Carol intervened. I don't think that's quite what he means. Amos nodded a thanks, but I've got this to Carol, then folded his hands over his knees and spoke slowly. No, that's not it at all. It, it's that they're separate issues. You're going to give me that Republican bullshit about teaching a man to fish, aren't you? I think you will find... The whites of Gerd's eyes were almost the only bits of him that Amos could make out plainly. The Frenchman sat on the far side of Adele. That those are not the only options. Oh? Adele shifted her body so she could watch Gerd rather than Amos. Politics. It thrives on false simplicity, no? But there are other ways around the eel. If you give a man a fish, he will eat lunch. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for life or until the pond dries up. But if you just get out of the way and stop stealing his fishing pole, an adult will see to his own needs perfectly well, Nesper. Kevin gave a few broad flourishes with his charcoal, put it down, and picked up a blotter. Figures the frog would eat the bread of logic and leave all us rubes stuck here in the dark. Carol rolled her eyes. The edge of her mouth twitched a little, but she suppressed the smile. Kevin, are you done with my head? Yeah, feel free to gab. Carol stretched her neck out to each shoulder, while keeping her body rigid from her shoulders down. She looked over at Adele. There hasn't been a famine in the world due to crop failure for almost 90 years, but there are political famines all the time. I don't think foreign aid is the problem. I know, I know, I've been there, I've seen it firsthand. That doesn't mean that there won't ever be famines again. And it doesn't mean that there aren't problems that need to be solved. I just think we're putting our eggs in the wrong basket. Whiz-bang, fancy-schmancy isn't going to fix the water supply or the sewers in Indonesia. Sarah nodded, almost imperceptibly. I know. It's like when... Carol's right hand, already resting on Sarah's hip, lifted up and smacked her lightly before settling back down. Willful little thing, aren't you? Sarah pinched Carol on the thigh. Ow! That's me. Talk all you want. Kevin halted his scribbling and pointed his blotter at them. But don't move. Everyone mumbled an apology. Amos folded his legs up under himself and raised an eyebrow at Adele. Whiz-bang, huh? Yeah, that whiz-bang adds one year to our lifespan for every three years we live. It won't be long until that ratio is reversed. Sarah and Jeremiah here are young enough that they'll probably live 150 years. If they're really lucky and they manage their money carefully and nobody starts a nuclear war, they might not even have to die. Oh, people have been saying stuff like that since the 50s. Spare me the 
Western triumphalism. Don't get me wrong. There will be major troubles in the short term. You and I might not be alive to see it, but it'll happen. Too many people forgetting to die. They've got to go somewhere. See, Kevin, this is exactly the problem with all your biotech shit. Jeremiah sounded almost relaxed. Maybe he was settling in after all. Amos raised a hopeful eyebrow at Carol, who cocked her head to the side in anticipation. You think there's a problem with overpopulation now? Not really. Do you ever look out your ivory tower windows? We can bicker later. Sit still and shut up. Jeremiah narrowed his eyes, but held his tongue. Carol shrugged at Amos with her eyes, and Amos sighed before returning his attention to Adele. Think of it this way. For 150,000 years, people have been doing just what we're doing here. Sitting around campfires, sharing fellowship. Along the way, we learned to use fire to change rocks into tools, to change sand into glass, to change fruits into acid, and to change water into rocket fuel. This is what we do. It's what life does. If we don't get off this planet, what's the point? If we get away to other planets, other systems, we'll outlast the sun. If we don't, eventually the Earth will be swallowed up and be forgotten. And it won't matter that we were ever here. And if it's uplift you're looking for, that's where it's going to come from. When you look back and see the planet from orbit... You can't think in the small terms of nations and political parties anymore. Have you seen it? Sarah's head almost jerked up before she remembered herself and moved back into position. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have. I got to go up a couple of years ago. Paul Allen really liked one of my books and bought me a ticket. But you've never seen it close up. Never seen how the people suffer every day. While we have everything that we could possibly want. Not anything like you have, no. I can't say that I have. For a little while, everyone seemed to slide away into their own private worlds. Some of the smaller votive candles began to gutter, but the taper candles still burned strong along with the fire behind the models, which crackled happily in time with the ticking of the mantel clock. Carol was the first to stir, though she didn't seem to speak to anyone in particular. But wouldn't you like to see it? Don't you ever wonder what it would be like out there? Her voice sounded far away, as if she were already out among the stars herself. Who doesn't? I'd also love to be a movie star and live forever. Some things are just too expensive. Adele sighed wistfully. Sorrow and longing leaking around the edges of her words. (sighs) Could you live with owning a jaguar if your sister or your son needed a $30,000 operation to survive? But is that really what the choice is? Carol's voice sounded oddly like a whispered prayer. (laughs) Dress it up however you want. A technocrat is a technocrat. Amos threw his hands up to the ceiling as if praying deliverance from the godless universe. Okay, fine, have it your way. The world is steeped in blood, and I'm a rapacious carnivore. I need to be a jerk. Jesus. Jeremiah scowled like he'd just eaten a lemon. Adele bristled visibly. I'm not seeing nail wounds. Hmm, whatever. (laughs) 
The conversation seemed to taper off after that. There were a few idle comments here and there, bits of reminiscing and catching up over the next couple hours, but nothing came up that anyone seemed prepared to run with. Kevin took in the light and shadow lines on the faces of his models before him, roughing out the dappled candle dance on his canvas. For the first while, he alternated between the charcoal pencil and the blending cloth until he was satisfied that he had a good base to paint from. He spent the next while touching up the undercoat and did light and shadow work over the charcoal with his knife, then stepped back to check his work against what he saw by the fireplace. When he stood up, he noticed goose pimples rising on his model's skin. Come to think of it, he was starting to feel a little cold himself. Kevin set his tools down and regarded his work. He hadn't captured any of the colors, he knew he really should, but it was getting too cold to keep going and they needed to get the power back on. I hate to interrupt the love fest, boys and girls, but I'm not going to get this done tonight. Adele, you're a photographer. Yeah? Can I borrow your camera to take some reference shots? I'll do it for you. Light's tricky. Adele pushed herself up. The candlelight was kind to her face, smoothing out the weathered texture in her skin and showing what she might have looked like 20 years ago. Kevin watched for a moment as she dug under the shorter sofa for her camera bag and decided that he liked her better with the weathering. More of her real character seemed to show through in the less flattering light of day than it did under the softer, more forgiving glow of the flames. The way her body moved under her loose flannel and drawstring BDUs made her seem timeless, no matter what light she was in. How are you doing? The kindness in Carol's voice drew his attention back to the hearth. She was looking down at Jeremiah, stroking his head as it lay on her thighs. In the firelight, they looked like they were made of liquid stone, a sculpture Michelangelo might have carved in the glow from the lakes of hell. Jeremiah turned his face up to look at her. He looked almost relieved, but his tone was still bitter underneath. I'm not going to kill anyone. Don't worry. She seemed to take pity on him. Either that or she saw something in his eyes that Kevin couldn't. He wouldn't have been surprised. She seemed to have almost a preternatural ability to see into the soul of a person, find the best of what was there, and prod it out. Whatever the case, Carol bent down and kissed Jeremiah deeply. She spent almost a minute at it, her lips dancing with his. Kevin felt Adele at his elbow before it was done. Jeremiah seemed to make the most of it, if the sudden small twitches and half-engorgement creeping through his cock were any indication. But when Carol pulled away and smiled at him, he couldn't meet her eyes, and turned back to the crowd to resume the falsely intimate gaze of a performer romancing an audience. Carol resumed petting him behind his ear. Let me know if you need anything. I'm fine, but thanks. Kevin turned to find Adele studying the sketch intently. He stepped to the side and let her have a fuller view. After a moment, she nodded, then fiddled with the settings on her camera and started snapping pictures. Gerard shifted his pillow so he was within reach of Sarah's head. Oblivious to the photographer, he reached out and touched the dancer's hair. It is a lovely thing, is it not? Is it touching? Hmm. I've missed it. I don't get enough. Carol rubbed Katie's shoulders with her right hand while stroking Jeremiah's neck with her left. Jeremiah's body seemed to relax. The tension went out of his muscles and he lay limp on Carol's lap for the first time that evening. 
That would make the reference pictures that much better. Kevin mouthed a silent prayer of thanks to Carol, who smiled slyly. It is. Giving it? Getting it? All touch is communion. You almost make hedonism sound wholesome. Whatever genuine disapproval there was in Adele's voice was hidden behind a smile. Kevin shared the smile as he started packing up his kit for moving back to its corner. Carol winked at her. There's hope for you yet. Adele paused her shooting and pulled up the pictures on the display screen. She started flipping through them. Katie started to shiver visibly. Someone's going to have to turn the generator on. Right on command. Gerd stood up. Where are you going? To turn on the generator, naturellement. He walked past the hearth and through the solarium door. Katie looked after him, a strange expression on her face. Then, without turning, she said, Adele, you got what you need? It looks like it. She gave the final pictures and the set a last look. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Kevin sidled up next to Adele and looked on as she looped back through the pictures for his benefit. He barely heard Katie say, Excellent! before she wrapped herself in the couch blanket and scurried out after Gerd. The photos were... good. Too good. He was going to have trouble outdoing them on the canvas, and Adele had done them without even thinking about it. It occurred to Kevin, not for the first time, that when he picked his medium, he'd paid too much attention to the romance and not enough attention to the results. Adele tipped the camera toward him in an almost apologetic gesture. These work okay for you? These are gorgeous. He nodded approvingly and suddenly remembered something he'd read in a book once. It was something he never thought he'd feel like saying again, this far along in his life and his craft. But now he could barely risk saying it aloud. I am only an egg. Gerd hadn't seen her yet. He was busy poking around the generator, making sure it was okay before starting it up. Katie closed the door quietly behind her and leaned back against the doorframe. She smiled privately to herself. The avalanche and the power failure were the best things that had happened to her so far. It had pulled everyone together, calmed everyone down. Everyone else was worried. Katie was relieved. For the first time since she'd arrived, she began to think that the retreat would go to plan after all. Bon. Gerd seemed satisfied with what he found. He straightened up and Katie heard a click, followed by the diesel engine rumbling to life as he threw the starter switch. He nodded once at it, then turned around to head back into the house, which brought him face to face with Katie. He jumped, obviously startled. Gah! Mon Dieu! Katie did! My heart! Oh, you'll survive. She walked past him toward the spa. Well, I hope so. She lifted up the lid and looked at the temp display. Uh, looks like about another half hour till it warms back up. Alas, I need to sleep. That's because you haven't been sitting in one position for three hours with Jeremiah mouthing off in your ear. My gratitude for that is boundless. <laughs> You're just jealous, because I do a better drag act than you. She opened her wrap to him and shook her tits in his general direction, then quickly covered back up. He nodded magnanimously. And so, you have me. Cared? She couldn't contain the news any longer. What? I... She felt her cheeks flush as she finally let the excitement become real. I got it. The grant? She nodded. I did. He clapped his hands with a peculiarly Parisian enthusiasm. Oh, excellent, Katie did. You were right. It was all in the language. 
scared beamed at her. Then, almost quicker than she could see, he covered the distance between them and swept her up in his arms. She felt his lips on her ear as he whispered, Congratulations. She turned her head and kissed him firmly on his lips, then pulled her face back and cradled his cheeks in her hands, looking through his eyes into that inner part that he kept locked away most of the time. Thank you, Gerd. We should tell Carol. She'll be delighted. No. I... I want to keep this to myself for a while. But why? He set her down. She's helped me with all my other big commissions. I want to keep the accomplishment just for me for a little while. The gentle smile of a tired legionnaire spread across his face. <sighs> Katie nodded her head back toward the spa. Sure you won't stay up for a dip? Tonight, no. You may visit my bed later, if you wish. <laughs> oh, how magnanimous. Katie cuffed him playfully on the shoulder. Dirty old man. Oui, I cannot deny it. He touched her face one last time, then walked back into the living room. You've been listening to episode 10 of Down From 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. With original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple. Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty McKeon and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Hello there. My name is... Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. No. He's a called Jata Binks. Uh, no. Ben Kenobi? <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, Indiana Jim. The princess? No. Princess, she's no. here. Princess, no. what's going on? The intrepid archaeologist. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Well, that's not very nice. Look, would you just let me talk for a while? Ability once? to speak does not make you intelligent. Hey! I am wondering, why are you here? I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, The Adventures of Indiana Jim. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Look, we talk about sci-fi and fantasy books and movies, creative writing, and what's hot in the world of podcasting and new media. I knew that you were going to say that. I also have interviews with authors, and even talk a little football every now and then. Are you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler? Who says you can't be a geek and a sports fan? Where are you taking this thing? Oh, right. Uh, Podcast.indianagym.net <laughs> Hello, this is Beck from the Metamore City Podcast, where I play Callie Linder. And you're listening to Down From Ten. So, the generator works, and our heroes have had a chance to wind down after a day packed to the gills with chores and argue a bit in a more civil way. But now, it's night. And, as we've seen, strange things happen in this house at night. 
Of course, strange things have been happening all day, but now people will be asleep, and the shadows that move through the house might be able to do so undetected. There was an error in last episode's after show. I'll be guest hosting Patio Rackets Blog Talk Radio show this Thursday, September 17th at blogtalkradio.com slash Racket. Sorry for the confused dates last week. I recorded the after show at about 4 a.m. Anyway, on that show I'll be interviewing Rhonda Carpenter and Heather Rulo about their novels. They normally host the show, so don't get the chance to talk up their own work. But we're going to rectify that this week, and it should be a lot of fun. I'll be at World Fantasy Con this year to meet people, implement a nefarious plan to advance my publishing career, and to attend the launch of Gail Carriger's new steampunk fantasy novel, Solus. And, of course, you can hear the first chapter of Solus by checking this podcast feed. Artistic Whispers called on some old friends to put together a sample radio drama to give you a flavor for Gail's world. If you haven't read my review of Solus, it's called Etiquette by the Full Moon, and it's available on my blog at jdsawyer.net. And if you haven't listened to the sample chapter, do. It's really creating a buzz, and you're missing out if you don't. Orders are coming in for the predestination poster. Once we get 20, we'll place the print order and start shipping them out. Pre-orders get signed and numbered posters, so don't delay. We're nearly halfway there. You can find order information on all three blogs and under the swag tab at www.jdsawyer.net. Remember, if you're listening to the Antithesis feed, this is the final episode of Down From 10 that we'll be posting there. Starting now, you need to switch to either the Down From 10 feed or to the jdsawyer.net Uber feed, which is, of course, the one I recommend. You can find all my feeds in the right sidebar at www.jdsawyer.net. Remember that you can leave questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats, or whatever else you like, at feedback at jdsawyer.net or on the blog at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net. You can call and leave a voicemail, and please do, at area code 206-350-5739. And of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends. Post a review on iTunes, blog about us, Anything legal that you can do to spread the word would be immensely helpful. Also, remember that you can drop a couple of bucks in the tip jar at jdsawyer.net and on the Down From 10 blog at www.jdsawyer.net. A portion of the proceeds also go to our composer extraordinaire, Danny Shade. This weekend, our heroes encounter shadows of the past while shadows of another kind lurk at the edges of the candlelight and we'll find out just how terrifying things can get in the dark. So tune in this weekend, and remember always, you can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten.